You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Eugene P. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, full of zest today. Full of zest. Interesting. Very You like that? You like that? Uh, not really. <laughs> no. Full of zest. Well, I'm glad you're full of zest. Um, after a long, hard day of working, I'm a little, little tired today, so I'm unzest, if, if, if that's a word. I, I am unzest, but I'm happy to be here talking education with you. Um, we, uh, Steve, have a new president. And regardless of where someone stands in the political world, of our two political parties. There's a party that's happy, there's a party that's not so happy right now. And that's kind of how it goes when you go from one party to the next for presidential purposes. But for the concept of this show today, we're looking at what does having a new president, like him or not, what does that have to do for education? Um. Are there some things you expect to be easier wins or easier losses? And Steve, I go back to my first couple of years of teaching. I could have cared less who the president was because I was the president in my classroom. I controlled my classroom and I've ne I, like school politics never got in the way because, because of how I managed my class. Like it wasn't until, to be honest with you, it wasn't until I became an assistant principal that I started noticing and having to deal with the politics of education. But as a classroom teacher, and it's probably my ignorance for not seeing the bigger picture, all I cared about was my classroom. And it didn't matter if you were the president, if LeBron James was the president, if, um, Ryan Braun was the president, Tom Brady. It didn't matter because I was the president of my class. You probably, I like how you stated that. You probably had effects of the politics in your classroom, but you were unaware of it, which is was, not a bad spot to be. I, I, I'm pretty sure. And so I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing but I was pretty oblivious to it. It might be a good thing because you're focusing on, on your students. What, what is very interesting is the federal government does not control education directly. So the constitution does not list education. And so then it goes back to the states and states' rights. So you'll see each state will have a Department of Education. So they vary state to state and teachers get a state license. 
and then they so they could have a state license in California, state license in Florida. And so the US government has doesn't have direct control over education, but what they do have is the money. And then the money is what they leverage to make decisions. So one of the things that'll be interesting to watch in the Biden administration is how will they handle the money to leverage states and get to have states do what they want the states to do. For instance, testing. If they want testing, they say, okay, state of California, we want you to test third and fourth graders in this reading and give us the results back. And the state of California says, you can't tell me what to do. And then Biden's administration could say, well, all right, we can't tell you what to do, but if you test third and fourth graders, we will give you X number of dollars. And then the state of California makes a decision and goes, that's in our best interest, let's do it. So I, I'm, I'm, I think one of the areas will be the testing that we'll watch and see. Will there be more standardized testing? Will there be less for, for states to do? And that's something that all teachers would feel, right? In all, in all classrooms right. or schools. Steve, let me ask you these two questions before 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 you go start going down our agenda. Um, when you were new, when you were a new teacher, did you notice politics right away? Uh, probably the, the the first topic I talked about testing is the is the only spot that I noticed it because okay. I thought we were testing too much. Okay, and do and then that would come up with the answer. Well, it's something we have to do. So do that's the politics that I noticed. Do you consider it politics when, hey, if a certain amount of students don't score blank, then we're going to have to potentially change the grading scale to make it favorable? Do you consider that like local education politics? Yes, I think. That that's local, sure. I would I would consider that local. Okay, I got an exclusive story. Okay, before you go into it, I got a story. So I'm not going to say where I was at the time, but somewhere along my educational journey, does this this is for you experienced educators in Wisconsin? It, we had a, a a state testing mechanism that was entitled at the time the WKCE. So a state test mm -hmm. and standardized and they had a clear, like a clear numerical ratio of, I believe, and I could be wrong, but like they had four testing categories equivalent to advanced, superior, minimal, and basic, right? And I remember issuing the test to the school population. And I'm not just talking about a school. It was like, it was, throughout the entire district. And as a district, more kids fell into minimal and basic than they expected. So it was looking like bad, like, oh shoot, like this is not gonna look good for the teachers. It's not gonna look good for the students. It's not gonna look good for the district. So what they did after the results were released they changed the score, scoring criteria to proficient. 
like like they lowered they sure. lowered the the bar to not look bad. And I was like, wow, this is it saved some kids and it saved some embarrassment uh of schools that of schools, but like if certain people don't make it, you lower the you lower the grading criteria. And that's the first time I had seen that. Now it's probably happened and I've probably been around it. This is the first time I really paid attention to it. I'm like, wow. Because everybody was basic and minimal. So that that begs the question, when you think of Biden and his administration and and the direction he wants to go with education, it, do you have, will he push out more standardized testing, more reports like that, knowing what you just brought up what was the flaws in standardized testing? We know many of the flaws in standardized testing. Your, the, uh, the ability to, to show different results, the idea that one, one snapshot does not show if the child's proficient or not, that depends how the child's doing, what they ate for breakfast, uh, attention span. There's a lot of things that one test, it's limited with a standardized test, but also people need to see, and I think government and agencies want to see too, what, how is, how are we doing as a country? So there has to be some measurements. So which direction is Biden going to go with? More, more testing, or you feel he's going to uh, say that the, the federal government does not need all those tests? I am going to say, I believe you are going to see less testing. And, and why? Do and you it's not it? necessarily 100% tied to Biden, it's more tied to COVID. Mm. And you put the two pieces together. So here's Here's what I'm thinking in my head, and I could be totally wrong, but this would be my guess. So because of COVID, there are many schools that aren't doing the standardized testing. And they are doing well. School didn't shut down, they didn't lose kids. Eighth grade still going to high school. Twelfth grade still going to college, right? So it shows you could go about testing differently, or you could scrap it completely. Now I'm not, I'm not saying scrap, but what I'm saying is schools right now. There are schools right now. Me and you have talked about this that aren't that aren't doing certain certain testing. Uh, requirements. So it shows you can go without it. And I, and trust me, to the listeners out there, I, I'm not saying schools will need to be held accountable. Students will need to be tracked to see if learning is occurring or not occurring. I mean, I value local assessments better of, you know, the teacher's assessments. But what I'm saying to you is all that money that's spent on testing, there's a whole bunch of schools not doing no official testing like what the question you asked. So this may be a launch to pivoting a different way. Yeah, that would be beneficial in my, my opinion because you mentioned 
briefly a couple of the dangers of the standardized test. We mentioned those, and I think there's many more. And I like your approach, the local, local control on, on the testing, even though there's dangers with that too, but uh, it's not one standardized test. I think we're seeing that with the ACT, SAT, what the college boards, how they're modifying that as well. I believe Biden and administration, I agree. I think they'll go with COVID and, and realize that at this time, we're gonna do other ways to, uh, to figure out how students are doing. So probably support more financially and then ask maybe a year later to give the results of what's happening in, across the country in the classrooms. And, and then, but if, if, if people decide to move forward with testing the way we know it, I think that it'll be flexible enough to where you will be able to take it, say for whatever reason, let's say three years from now, COVID kicks back in. Like I think the testing me mechanisms, mechanisms will be to where you don't have to be at school to test. Now yeah. that creates a whole nother thing yeah. in which you know, who's around, someone helping you. So I don't have the answer for that right now. But what I'm saying is we'll never get caught in again. So if we do go back to testing somewhat the way it was in the past, we'll never get caught again in a scenario to where those assessments are only given or doable in a school environment. Agreed. Would we both agree that Biden will put great resources, financial resources into COVID, into due to COVID or a COVID label label on cleanliness, getting classrooms ready to go. I believe a big package will come that way to the to the public schools across the country as far as a COVID package to get them ready to return face to face. So I think. But I think it goes beyond that. And that's kind of what we were talking about this morning. Um, yes, yes to what you just said. I think there'll be considerable money going to general maintenance uh, procedures to get the class ready, uh, whatever supplies, all that, all the, all, whatever goes into that. But I also think, and this could be a separate thing or it could be combined, but due to COVID, in some places, racial unrest, some places, COVID unrest, some places, poverty, uh, you know, it's a tough time for students and families. And you're going to need this wraparound support to support the educator, to support the student once they go back into the classroom. So I think Biden may also double down on this with additional funding for counselors, psychologists, social workers, you know, uh, bilingual, bilingual education, um, nurses, because sending people back to school in this right now, in, in certain environments and locations, it won't be the same as it was when they left. Like it's changed. And, and for the student to be successful, we're going to have to wrap these supports around students and families. Mental health, money for mental health professionals. Yes. 
money for health care in the in the schools, safety measurements, cleanliness. I agree, all underneath the umbrella of COVID, and the mental health and supportive teachers. Like, and those all those things cost. Yeah, and I believe Biden will, will push that through and get that through with the intent of getting everybody back in a school because that was one of his top 100 days. One of the top priorities was getting students back face to face. You know what? As different as Biden and Biden and Trump were, that's one thing they've both verbalized. We really want to get the kids back in the school safely. And so that's quickly. So they did both agree on that. Yeah, that's probably one of the few things you'll, you'll get an agreement on those two. And and what I what I like about that statement is the key word was safely. Um, you don't want to throw people back into things into a scenario to where you're going to create like spreading situations. And kudos to and it's more like like in urban areas, um, it's probably more of of private schools that have been open. And kudos to those schools that have gone above and beyond insurance safety measures uh, for their faculty and staff. Um, because we know at some points there's information that they knew or didn't know that it had to be difficult. You had to question yourself, is this the right thing to do? But kudos to those places that's doing it in a safe manner. On the other end, like there's super, I mean, we could look at some of the cities and counties in our area, you know, they're scared to go back. So it's all over the place. Um, but I do think that the expectation is that Biden will probably pour more financial resources into education. You know, we'll see, like we shall see, but I think the average educator expects that. No doubt. I. I think there'd be great shock if that's not, as he listed to a, a top priority. And the response, I think another topic would be the response to the teachers unions across the country who are largely responsible for the victory, you could argue, for the Biden administration. So what is his response to the teachers union? And I would say it depends probably on their the topic that the teachers union would bring up, but definitely, definitely the COVID safety. I think that'll be an agreement with the union. I, I wonder what other topics that he'll be responsive to the union on would be an interesting question. What topics do you think the unions would well, re well, I think, request? I think, and I could be wrong. And, and I definitely respect teacher unions. and I'm trying to say this accurately, I think they would say, yes, we appreciate these resources. But I also think a lot of teachers unions will say, we, it's not that we're not prepared. I think a lot of teachers unions will say, as it is right now, we can't go back. Like I can see that being an argument. Sure. Yeah, I think we're, we'll see that. I'm saying what other demands besides the COVID going back to face-to-face, -to -face, what other demands are the are unions 
and Biden administration going to be talking about? Well, I think you probably will want the teachers like higher up on the list for COVID testing to get yeah, tested. I'm, 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 no, I'm sorry, I tested for. Oh, you said non-COVID? Beyond COVID, yep. Beyond COVID, we know there there is alignment there. There's absolutely alignment saying, well, there will there will be alignment in saying, give us the money and resources, and I think that'll come. There's, I think I think you're going to see something on teacher evaluation. You could see an argument or a position saying, "Hey, you realize we just had an epidemic." pandemic let's say this is next year next school year why do you I, think, I could, why do you I, think the biden administration would push out teacher evaluation or or push that topic no you said which one would teachers push so teachers are pushing that the teachers union is pushing that i i, I could see some arguments say we just had a pandemic last year it's unfair to evaluate us on whatever mechanism that you're using oh okay Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure Biden would push the, or the teachers would want, you're right. The teachers would say, I don't think the evaluation would come, but I'm not sure Biden would push that either. So there probably have to be something there. with attendance, something with I was attendance. thinking that it would, it would be in the, in the shape of a model of education. For instance, the outgoing secretary of education was a strong proponent of charter schools is there going to be some backlash against charter schools or choice schools will the new administration and the teachers union believe that there needs to be a real strong push for public schools traditional public schools only and a charter schools in certain choice schools voucher schools be in jeopardy or will it continue how it's been going for the last four years. We talked about that in that press conference that, um, that I was telling you about before we came on the show. Um, I think the expectation is that it's going to lean towards public education versus the private schools and I believe you said charter schools. I think the expectation is it leaned towards public education um, to to because they're under they're underfunded right now, right? They're underfunded right now uh, from the states and then depending on the tax brackets and all that, we're getting into the weeds of the conversation, but you have like drastic funding issues in public education. So I do think there's an expectation that he will help either restore or, or fund more appropriate. I don't know if the reality, if you will ever get stop funding now uh, the, the direction of money that's going to the private schools. Like, I don't think that you're gonna decrease that to refund public school. I think the money's gonna have to come from somewhere else. It is, it is helpful to, to step back, just talk about the different functions and the different, different models of education because it makes, it really is important for this topic that you have your traditional public school, which is funded through taxpayer money, right? Property, property Tax, taxes. Taxpayer. So, so there's, so there's a model, there's a two thirds model. So it's like in, in a perfect world, 
the state will fund two thirds and then the remaining piece will be your taxpayers, right? Be your, your taxpayer money. Now, I, I, I tend to look at this three ways. I look at this as a public school in an urban environment, a public school in a suburban environment with a different tax bracket. And then I look at uh, some of these other like private, private school entities that is getting money routed from the public school. So I'm looking at three different things when, when, you, when you say that. Yeah, and let's, let's, so that's a traditional public school. And then there's a public school that has more autonomy in hiring, firing, and setting a curriculum. And that'd be a charter school. So a charter school is still public school, still underneath the constitutional rights of the students but they have more leeway in hiring, firing, more autonomy in, in how they want to do instruction. Right. And you then, know, Steve, let me, Steve, let me hop let in me this. Just no, I'll, I'll, the, uh, let me just finish the models and then we, then we can dig into your, your, your points. And then there's a, the states would define, there's either public schools or private schools. So they always define it as two, two different models. So public could be a traditional public school or a charter school or there's private school and, and private schools could be identified as religious schools, Catholic schools, Lutheran schools, Baptist schools, or they could be a private school. So Eugene and I could start our own school and call it, uh, we could call it superhero education school. And that would be a private listed as a private school too. So under those two models, public or private, public is usually funded by the state. Private is usually funded through tuition dollars, fundraising, and those sorts of things. And then what happens is certain states, Wisconsin's one of them, they have what they call the school choice or vouchers, which would allow the state, or it would give this, uh, the schools, the private schools, the ability to get state funding. So that's available in some states around our country where actually the private schools are getting state funding to run their school. And so Wisconsin's the largest in the whole country in that format of where we have statewide school choice and we have a Milwaukee school choice program. So the state of Wisconsin pays for those schools to operate. So it's very unique to different parts around the country. So those are that's the setup. And now uh, Eugene, go with what your point was. Okay, so it's a couple of things. People often get caught up in the public school versus the private school and public money being routed to the private school. So that so that's a thing, right? But what's also a thing is public schools financially, urban districts, public schools uh, in a suburban district. So there's discrepancies in that within the same wheelhouse. And what the, the story I was going to share to you when I was a principal, uh, my daughter was in the second grade, third grade, she's in the third grade. She went to a public school like two cities away from here. And the resources, and I'm not saying money equals everything or resources equal everything because we do know and respect like teacher power and teacher expertise and the magic that teachers do, right? But just for a resource scenario, it wasn't even comparable. We struggled to get music two days a week for the entire building. They had chorus, general music, 
um, instruments. And so when people are shopping around, there were some parts we wasn't even comparable. Like they had a room, it was the creative room. You come to this room to do creative stuff. And you had the, the means, you had the intelligence, you had the, the power to negotiate that and find that for your daughter where others don't. So there, there are two different, two different, what you call them unjust or equity issues with funding in, in America. And that is a big problem. And I think you could see that from, I believe that example is happening in every state in, our, in the United States. Every state in our nation is dealing with that, and that does need to be fixed because most of the times we're talking, it's, a, it's an equity issue. Most of the time we're talking it's students of color versus white students in those scenarios. Not all the time, but a lot of times that is. So you're really building up two different systems. You're really going back to uh, separate, not equal. Well, what it does is it leads to a school to prison pipeline. That's number one. Two, it stops the joy of learning. And three, students began to realize the differences probably once they're in middle and high school. They started to realize, hey, we got this over here. Y'all don't have this. And so like there were days I cried because it wasn't comparable. It, it, just, it just wasn't. How am I going to try to sell a parent? They're asking me because like, like, okay, do you have gym, art, and music? Like, that's a big thing to families, right? And not that your core subjects aren't. But like, yeah, you got gym, art. Yeah, yeah, we got we got music two times a week for the entire building. We got art one day a week. Like, who knowingly is going to sign up for that when there are other options? Like, no parent with the means would do it. That's why money and resources in education is, is always a uh, top priority. And many times... People discount it. It depends, again, on, on your political views, but it shouldn't be discounted because the resources and funding, there is an equity issue there that needs to be addressed. And it's, and it's real. The resources of, of one school could trump and, and the education changes. Think about pay for teachers. How can I attract the best teachers and the most experienced teachers if, I'm, if my pay is totally different and, and the schools are only 20 minutes apart? So Steve, funding, resources, I believe we're going to see that in the Biden administration. I believe he will make it a priority. I think his wife being a teacher helps. I think the teachers unions putting the pressure on him will help. But I, I wonder how far can they go as far as, um, because now you do have private schools that perform at a high level. And uh, you do have to give credit and respect to them. And like we see, Steve, you've heard me say all the time, the best private school teacher resembles the, the best public school teacher. The, the, the best, the, the, uh, not the best, the private school teacher with the most challenges and issues that may not be ready, looks like the same public school teacher that may not be ready. So like there are certain things that are very similar, two different tracks. But Steve, let me say this, and this is probably local, Local state, I'm believing it's I'm believing it's uh, local, not presidential. And I'm on my soapbox now because I'm fired up about this. One of the things that has to stop 
is the funding for students. Like the whole third Friday thing is crazy into which if a student transfers after or leaves the school after the third Friday, the dollars don't follow the kid. It's one of the biggest travesties in education. It, it, it reinforces uh, unequal funding. Um, it's, it, it reinforces cheat the system to where you'll get paid for a year of having a kid and the kid's been there three weeks and then they go to, then they go to another school for the rest of the school year to June and there's no money to support that student. It's it's one of the biggest, and I'm on my soapbox, but it's just one of the, the weirder things in education that you can't tell me that we can't get some smart people in the room to figure that one out. That has to stop. So let's just put some context in it so people can fully wrap their head around what's happening here locally, probably happening in other states as well. But again, Wisconsin's the largest in the, in the choice program, and that is funding from the state for religious private schools. So the state of Wisconsin here, one example, the state of Wisconsin gives, gives the school money. Public so and private. A Catholic school, that Catholic school gets money for every student that's there. So the Catholic school has to report out the third Friday in September, how many students they have. So the Catholic school may say we have 200 students and then they get paid out from the state of Wisconsin for 200 students. What Eugene's bringing up is after that third week in September, when they say they have 200 students, some schools are, are saying, you know what? Now that we got that 200 students and we get that money coming in, I don't wanna deal with the five behavior issues that my teachers have been complaining about. Those students need to go somewhere else. And, and it might be five, 10, 20 students that, um, leave the school or told to leave the school that and they go to a public school that money stays with that catholic school and that is a huge problem because now that public school has to figure out how do i how do i take in 20 40 50 more students without any funding that that's a huge problem probably happening in other states too that have some sort of program of vouchers or school choice that's something that we could change today quickly so there's a reason why when you have to dig it at the surface a little bit, why are they keeping that and who benefits from it? So as, as we're wrapping up, just do a quick recap on we're talking about on our podcast, Superhero Education Podcast, about the Biden administration changes in education. What will he stress? What will he de-stress? We talked about testing. We talked about unions, COVID, charter schools, choice. I believe it's a I got good one conversation. More. I got one more. If the president was smart, and it doesn't matter who, the, this is not a political thing, political thing. It's just, this is an education thing. If the president was smart, he would dedicate, he would dedicate some funds that schools would have to utilize to prepare your online piece. So schools now should have a face-to-face -face track and an online track for families. So it's never like a huge transition uh, or it's not like a huge thing to go from one to the other. Like we, we could do this right now. And it, for, many, for many districts, it will expand your market to offer an online and face-to-face -face track for families. Like we're in the space like Zoom and Google, 
prove that we could do it. So I would have, well, the president was smart. He would put money into facilitating that process. So at any given point, another, something else breaks out, COVID comes back with uh, snow days. Just think about it. We should never, ever have a snow day again because of this technology. Force, force districts. If you, if you want this money, have it, have your, have your online system in place. That might be something that, that he comes up with. I think that's a great, great topic for another show virtual versus face-to-face and the, and the strengths and weaknesses of each model, I think is a very, uh, would be a great show to talk about because then you could argue too, without going too deep into it, the money goes, someone goes virtual. It's not as good of education as face-to-face, but the school district is saving a ton of money. So they did it, they did it virtual, they saved a ton of money, but the students suffer in the process. I'm just giving one danger. Right, and see, I look at it differently. I look at market share, because I'm looking at, if you don't do virtual, I'm gonna go to a school that offers it. So if you wanna keep me. Yeah, but what percentage are you talking? You're probably talking, you're talking a a homeschooling percentage, you're talking a percentage of of parents that offered, I bet you could get 30 to 35% easily. Oh, here's where I want to stop the podcast. This is where we keep it going. I think that number is is way over the top of what you're seeing. Because what is every parent saying now? We need to do what? Go face to face. I think there's a percentage that increased in this and said, you know what? For our family, it makes sense. Give me a percent. I would say 10% more like the virtual. Heck no. You're talking hybrid, not full virtual. I'm talking full virtual. Yeah, no way is it more than 10%. I can name you 10% of the population right now. <laughs> you got you got families that I have to work. What are all the stresses for now then? Why is everybody saying go back? I but have every, to work. But I everybody's not saying go back. Internet doesn't work. Resources. I'm not a teacher. All these things are, why is everybody saying you have to get back in? And I'm, I'm not saying that does not exist, but I could definitely tell you from many of the people I interact with, there's more than we probably realize that are willing to take the fully online version. Now we I do know- that's, I don't think that's such a high number. I don't, I don't believe that because of what's- not, I'm not saying in your, in your circle of friends, that could be, but when hey, you, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. There, there's not a, there's not a, a state that hasn't said our priority or the president saying our priorities go back to face to face. Now, if you say hybrid model of does every school in a country need to have some kind of form of virtual learning? Sure. To say fully virtual learning, there's just too many people working, too many people with kids in daycare, too many people with internet issues, that too many people unexperienced to teach the math, the science, um, attention spans, technology overuse, all those things are telling people right now that it needs to be face-to-face. I'm right. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say it. We'll say I'm right then. I'm just going to say the facts. 
the facts say you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. Okay, Johnny Carson. So how we wrap this up, we wrap up the podcast every time talking about maybe a promotion, maybe something that uh, we're writing. Maybe there's a website or a company that we want to support. I'll start first and then Eugene, you can bring it home. So I'd like to have everybody go to the Center for Urban Education Ministries, go to the website. We are having some great professional development coming out in spring, lots of professional development. And what's great is this spring, it's free for teachers and school leaders. So get connected to www.cuemnational.org. Eugene. All right. Uh, Steve and I wrote the book Superhero Educator on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon, you go, if you prefer Barnes and Noble, go to barnesandnoble.com. Superhero Educator uh, by uh, Steve Garner and myself. Uh, 15 elements that make the best of the best teachers. So you need to go get that right now. If you didn't get that Christmas gift you wanted, or if you need to start your year off with a good book, Superhero Educator right now. Um, oh, shoot. I should have brought a flyer or um, Facebook or something, but uh, we are uh, Superhero Education and Center for Urban Education Ministries. Uh, we are uh, producing a project called the Black Excellence Speaker Series in which starting this Saturday, we are going to give you uh, professional development from 11 to 1, and we have the best of the best presenters uh, speaking, doing their presentations in their space of expertise. And this, let's see here, this Saturday at 11 o'clock, we have Miss Anisha Hayes, and she's going to be presenting on Believing All Students Can Learn. We have Randy Drew presenting How to Balance Athletics and Sports. Will Turner is going to be uh, uh, presenting on Leading Students Through Adversity. And Nandi Mallet is going to present Scholarships, Pell Grants, and Loans, A Guide for Parents. So um, it's your one-stop shop for, for professional development. Um, number one in, in, in being culturally responsive and culturally relevant. Um, we should have a great time and you should learn something. So we want you to tune in. And also if you have students or if you have colleagues that need to hear any of those messages, um, make, sure, make, 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 sure you, make sure you hop on board and, and bring someone with you. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll learn a lot. Uh, the presenters are on fire. So it's a pleasure organizing an event like this. So that information, we'll also make sure that's up on cuemnational.org so everybody can get engaged with that. Very important uh, additional learning and just great presenters. Agreed, agreed, agreed. So we're looking forward to it. And you hope, hopefully everyone is starting the school year. Although it's not the new year, for many people, um, they're starting their school year off. Um, hopefully it's, it's going positive and well from you. We know this is a time of anxiety for some, for time is anxiousness just to get back to normal. Wherever you are in that space, like we're encouraging you to push forward, uh, take some academic challenges um, and, and, and do something magical and powerful with students. Um, average is not good enough. 
and none of our listeners are average. So do something powerful and meaningful um, for the students that you serve. On that note, we are done with the show. We're listening. See you same time, same place real soon. We out. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator. 